Can you name all seven siblings of the Endless in order from oldest to youngest? Hi, nerds. What's up? Did you take your child to the My Little Pony movie in the theaters, but you were more excited to see it than they were? Nerd. You are a nerd. Did Santa Claus bring you a Nintendo Switch for Christmas? If you can answer any of those questions, then this is the show for you. This is the Northwest Nerd Podcast. My name is Nick Jarin. And I am Destiny, eldest brother of the Endless. But you can call me Dyer Oxley. By the way, shout out to Roe from North Bend. He is one of our generous Patreon supporters. And he got to write the three questions for this episode that you just heard because he contributed money to this here program. So thank you to Roe. And thank you to all of our patrons also. And speaking of that, the uh, do you know who the Endless are? That was kind of a really cool reference that I thought he picked out. There. That one is uh, beyond my nerddom. That is the Endless. If you know the Sandman series by Neil Gaiman, it is a Sandman's one of the Endless. It's mm. like seven siblings and it's like destiny dream desire very nice uh, reference there yeah uh shout out to to roe from north bend for that one and if you want to contribute to our patreon and maybe uh write three of those questions for a future episode head over to nw-nerd.com that's our website there's a link to our patreon there on the show today we'll start with the news where we'll dig into the top gadgets from ces the Consumer Electronics Show down in Vegas that just uh, wrapped up. And one exhibit there that in particular had us looking at Netflix's upcoming big-budget sci-fi Altered Carbon that's coming out next month. And, of course, also in the news section, I need to talk about some Black Panther news, so we have to include that. After the news, Dyer's feature story this week is on the dreaded Seattle freeze. He looks at the history of it a little bit, and settles the debate on whether the freeze is real, or at least I think he settles the debate. I'm offended when people say the Seattle freeze is is a real thing. It's not them. It's legitimately you. After that, inspired by this week's feature, we will do a quiz having to do with a different kind of freeze. Mr. Freeze. I will quiz Dyer for the first time. Um, I'll quiz him on the ridiculous lines uttered by Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 1997 film Batman and Robin, where he plays Mr. Freeze. He'll have to determine whether the quotes are real or not real. So uh, tune in for that towards the end of the episode and play along. And finally, I will pay off the quiz bet that I lost before our little holiday break. I had to watch two episodes of Supernatural and, oh boy, I got some notes afterwards. Son of a bitch. (laughs) All right. Let's start where we always do with the news. All right, Dyer, let's start with the gadgets and tech coming out of CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. So this is supposed to be things that are either conceptual and maybe a couple years away from market or things that people will be able to buy in like the next 12 to 18 months. Or just really cool ideas, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or really cool ideas. Like Honda had some like household robots and whatnot, little robot helpers, which were kind of cool. But in general, and I hunted down like five different websites that listed their top 10 gadgets at a CES. And they're all Got to tell you, snore. Such a boring year. You thought that, was that just because one of them was a sleep aid? Oh, God, I didn't the even headbands. see that. Oh, wait, yeah, I did see that. I scrolled right past it because I was like, I'm so tired of sleep tech. We're all going to find out that these things are giving us cancer of the brain anyway. Yeah, like so our we... cell phones. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so you're w- not impressed. Wake me up when, uh, when VR and AR have been fully realized because the coolest thing that I saw 
was the rollable TV. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who I'll did that one, that. but uh, that that seems cool because that's a technology that we've been waiting a while for. But the base of it is gigantic. And as the woman was going through the demonstration in a video that I saw, uh, I think on like The Verge or something or Time, um, she was talking about how it's going to save you space because you can roll up your TV. And I was like, yeah. well, save what space? That module is gigantic. It's like well, three feet wide. It's when this gigantic it's actually, box you to put somewhere. When it's actually rolled out, pun intended, to the market, like then ma- maybe maybe they'll find something smaller. I think it's actually pretty interesting, not just through its use as a TV, but the technology to actually create a foldable, compactable visual display. I mm. think well, I think that's when I think of that as well, being a little bit more important. Within get it down to being like my phone can bend without breaking, that'll be nice. Exactly, like something like that, or um, people have had theories about making essentially a kind of like a paper sheet display. Mm. So it's like a plastic sheet that's bendable and foldable, but it yeah. actually has a digital display on it. That's where I'm thinking of this going to. This seems like a very, very beginning moment for people to actually use that. Yeah. Um, if I take a moment, though, you actually glossed over it. I actually thought the Honda Robotics was one of the more impressive things that I saw. Like last year, everybody was was freaking out, calling it the Internet of Things. Um, we had the VR like thing when people were freaking out because everything was VR. I felt that this year's CES had more emphasis on robotics than we've ever really seen before. Whether it's the robot that actually uh, emotionally supports you mm. by expressions on its face. I think there was actually a robot that hugs you as well. Okay. Um, the Honda had all these things about uh, cargo capacity, so it was like a little cargo box that follows you around just because, you, know, you know, carrying backpacks really suck. Um, That's going to be a lot of fun at the conventions. Yeah. They're all like, essentially, I just saw a bunch of like <laughs> BB-8s with trash cans over them, that kind of uh, sentiment, just running yeah. into things. But uh, yeah, they, they even had an off-road vehicle that could be used for like emergency, uh, I don't know, management type. In, in my mind, I thought like, send that thing to Mars. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, we've got curiosity. That's great. But if we can get like Honda's thing, all, all terrain going off on Mars would be amazing. So I thought that I was actually very encouraging. I was very excited mm-hmm. about all the robotics that we were seeing. Um, and then slight little mention, uh, I think it's interesting somebody's trying to get into the smart glasses business again and incorporating Alexa into it. I thought that was yeah. How do you How do you think that's going to go? I think smart glasses are going to be a little bit more utilitarian than they are novelty. Like when Google came out with theirs, it was kind of like, it's fun, I'm out on the street. I see those as like something to do with your work. Like it's, mm. you put on glasses and somehow it's a utility to the job that you're doing somehow. Yeah. I mean, it might eventually be really cool, you know, hey, kids, stop arguing in the back seat, put on your glasses and watch movies. I could see that happen, um, you know, just to pacify people. Pretty sure that's how... Uh... The plot of Wally happened. Yeah, exactly. It could go, it could <laughs> essentially be Wally, um, or um, yeah, or we can just go the route of just uh, like you're some kind of computer engineer of some kind, and you use the glasses, and they somehow incorporate what you're doing with your work. I mean, mm-hmm. I can see essentially that's where it goes, and so that's a little bit more boring. But yeah, it makes me think of how we had tablet devices and you know, quote unquote, smart devices uh, for a variety of email and word um, processing back in like 2002, three, four, five, none of them took on. And then 
essentially Apple reinvented the wheel with them and made a smartphone that was all those tablets, but different and called it the iPhone. Mm -hmm. And now it's a huge success. And now we all have smartphones. You know, Google may have tried with the glasses and now this could be, we're going to try again and reinvent it until we actually get it right. just waiting for somebody to put the pieces together in the right way. And actually put it right, yeah. Okay. And we're not even mentioning the most interesting part of CES, which they actually grew human bodies. Oh, yeah. Did in you In front see of that? everybody. Yeah. We're growing people now. They're calling them sleeves <laughs> that you can just put on. That's the, uh, that's the official nomenclature. So this was probably... The splashiest exhibit at uh, CES this year was based on not real science or consumer products at all. It was a fake installation for a fake company, which is real in the universe of Netflix's Altered Carbon, um, based off of the book series by Richard Morgan. Um, some people may be a little familiar with these are kind of a cyberpunk yeah. Noir, thriller, crime type novels. Crime, I think, is the essentially a kind. It's it seems like a repackaged Blade Runner. In it a is way. kind of like a spiritual successor of Blade yeah. Runner. I think Especially, if Blade Runner hadn't happened, this wouldn't have happened. Altered Carbon. Yeah, it's very well. I don't know. People can probably debate that, but it it is very very similar to a very Ghost in the Shell Blade Runner type sentiment. The sci-fi hook for this is that in the future. We'll have this technology um, called stacks and sleeves. You can get a stack installed into your into like the bottom of your brain, basically, and that'll digitize your consciousness. And then you can transfer your consciousness into a new sleeve when your current sleeve, aka your body, has expired. So, in a way, giving you eternal life by just changing out your body, but keeping your mind the same and just putting it into a new one. So, is is essentially your? I don't want to use the term soul or whatever, but you, your. All your memories, say, everything like that your consciousness yeah. just gets keep keeps getting transferred into new body after new body after new body. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you yeah, just that's it. Continue you become go. altered carbon, basically. Ah, hence I, the title. I get that now. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, but what's exciting about this is that the the show coming up for Netflix has a gigantic budget. Um, it's reportedly their second most expensive show behind the get down, which was incredibly expensive because of all the musical numbers and the way that it was directed and everything. Uh, Altered Carbon has a trailer out. Go out and watch it because it looks kind of like, visually anyway, uh, a TV successor to the Blade Runner films. And that's what's kind of exciting to me about this thing. I have a lot of concerns about whether or not it's actually going to be good, but a lot of the creative team around it, I trust. Like, uh, for example... The pilot was directed by Miguel Sapochnik, who Game of Thrones fans might recognize that name because he's directed a bunch of the big action episodes for Game of Thrones, like the Battle of the Bastards. That was a Miguel Sapochnik episode. Also and a he's very actually expensive episode. Very expensive yeah. episode. So he can he can work with these like mini movie type budgets and make a really highly polished TV show. He's uh he's actually busy right now filming more episodes of uh, Game of Thrones for the final season, which very good sign that he's going to be involved in that. I'm, See, I'm a big fan of the episodes that he's done for Game of Thrones. I think you're spot on by saying this is almost like a successor to Blade Runner and people being excited for that. But in my mind, I also saw this as, okay, we all have this huge fervor for Westworld Mm -hmm. And but we're not going to get any more Westworld for a very long time. I almost feel like Netflix is getting in on that Westworld vibe by doing something not the same, but uh, like maybe similar. And, you know, while we're all waiting for this, we can get our fix with this. It's it's not a Westworld thing, but it's definitely a mystery 
with the question of what makes you human versus artificial, you know? And so, I don't know, I, I feel like we might be kind of getting into a little bit of a Westworld fix. The trailer this. focuses mostly on the action, yeah. which looks pretty cool and way, like, barely any CGI. I didn't see any yeah. CGI at all in any of the action. Um, so, I'm and excited then, about that, but... What's interesting to me about sci-fi is what they ask conceptually and things yeah. like that. And when you have a concept like what they do, which is basically life eternal, but your body doesn't matter, only your mind does, that opens up a lot of questions about identity, um, mm-hmm. for one. For instance, the main character's name is Takeshi Kovacs. So something has to be explained there because uh, we've seen some images, I think, from Entertainment Weekly where in the past... He's shown as a uh, as as an Asian man, basically, and then in the uh, the current timeline of the show, he is reborn into a sleeve, which is played by Joel Kinnaman, who people might recognize from from Suicide Squad and The Killing. Very very white man, and to still have a name like Takeshi, I think that there's some interesting questions and themes to be explored there, and I hope that they actually do it. I hope that it doesn't yeah. just become like a we're going to gloss over that. This is an action show, and it kind of plays into the backdrop of this storyline too with uh i'm not as familiar with but if i remember correctly it is a either a japanese company or the japanese country going to another planet to form a new planet using eastern european labor right is that yeah yeah in the, the in the of universe this? of altered carbon that's where uh takeshi kovacs is from he's from this colony out on another planet yeah which was settled by japanese and eastern european people again another blade runner kind of reference of yeah going out it kind of is the, off yeah. planet is where the opportunities are it it owes a lot to blade runner but uh that's probably about all we can say about that until yeah. it actually comes out on february 2nd so keep an eye on that we definitely will be and i think that in particular, the shows that we choose to talk about are increase, are increasingly ones that are streamable and available to a lot of people. And with Netflix being available in so many different households, I think that we find ourselves naturally talking about those shows more. Yeah. And certainly... Um, shows the habits are changing a little yeah, bit. Yeah, the habits are changing because like, I'm a cord cutter, you're a cord cutter. Yeah. The only broadcast show that I'm watching right now is The Good Place. And I catch that after it's already aired. I'm not watching it live, you know? I, too, have started watching that all last week. Nice. And I watched it on Netflix. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Season one's on Netflix. Yeah. Um, but uh, but speaking of the way that we watch things now, the other way that I think uh, in this era of too much TV that we're able to have these culturally unifying moments like, uh, like Stranger Things was able to do or The Last Jedi especially, things where a ton of people are watching it and talking about it at the same time, the next thing that that's going to happen with in a really big way is going to be Black Panther. Black Panther just uh, just broke the record for highest first day pre-sales for a Marvel movie. That is significant because those movies are among the highest grossing movies ever for opening weekends. Like you look at the top 10 list for for global box office and a lot of those Marvel movies are right there for the first weekend. So for them to break the record for pre-sales on the first day is significant. And I have to say, I also contributed to that. I bought my tickets as soon as I could. Going to Cinerama opening weekend, I cannot wait for this movie. Yeah, I'm going I'm to so hyped for this movie. I'm going to Cinerama opening weekend <laughs> as well. But I I bought mine before the show, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure if my numbers count in that. Yet. Yeah, no. I asked you but, if you had bought your tickets, and you're like, oh my god, I didn't even know they were. Available. I, I usually get an email <laughs> notice, and I didn't get one for this. But anyway, uh, Black Panther. It's kind of interesting, and I, I think it's 
There's a couple things going on here, and one of them I feel like now we're into the, what is it, phase three now with Marvel? Yeah, I think this I is phase three I feel like now. they have their engine revving so hot right now with Marvel films, and they've made, I mean, they've made some bad you know films and so forth, but mm-hmm. they've made enough of these good films now. I, I feel like that, that nerd barrier has kind of almost been broken, and, and everybody's kind of brought in to the fold now with this. I think, I, I, I don't know, I think with Black Panther... It's almost, I feel like we're going to get uh, another, I don't, I wonder if we're going to get kind of another Avengers type movie, kind of like when we had a Captain America movie, but it what really you, was an Avengers movie. Oh, you mean like a team up movie that has a solo title? I'm though? wondering if they're just going to, if there's, because we already have these other characters floating around the background of Black Panther. And, and, and one thing that's very clear about Black Panther is the rest of the whole Marvel universe depends very much. This is like a linchpin for the entire universe. Yeah, it depends very, very much Based on, on the this trailers. country, on this character, on this technology. And we're probably without this movie, which is probably why they're putting a lot of attention to it. We really probably don't have the storyline for the next Avenger film coming out. Yeah, so, Infinity War. A large portion of yeah. the uh, the plot is going to happen in Wakanda. We've seen right. a lot of footage already of them running around in Wakanda and yeah. fighting in Wakanda and whatnot. And we've we've posited here that we think the last yeah. Infinity Stone is going to be found in Wakanda. The Black Panther movie has a lot of pressure on it to to maintain that momentum heading into yeah. this these final Avengers movies. It's a lot of these storylines are bottlenecking right here in Wakanda. So I think that. A lot of people are just kind of drawn into this and probably Marvel too is very, very drawn into this going like we really need to make this work, which I'm very happy with because Black Panther, I don't think has ever gotten this much attention in the past for being so kind of cool of a character, Yeah, you know, especially in the comic books. I mean, I, I had Black Panther comic books like growing up, but they were always, you know, they weren't up in front with all the other comic books like with Superman, Wolverine and X-Men. You know, it was always like, where's the Black Panther section? Mm-hmm. He went and found them. And they didn't have a, a top line writer like Ta-Nehisi Coates on them. Right. I mean, that's another thing, too. You have someone like him writing these things. I mean, that's yeah. a huge push. That brings a lot of weight to that title. In today's literary uh, field, too. You don't. I don't think you really see that quite often with mm-hmm. a lot of comic books. There aren't even that many superstar writers out there just in America. I think that yeah. not very many people can just name a writer by looking at them. And Ta-Nehisi Coates is one of those people. And the fact yeah. that he's writing Black Panther can, cannot be undersold. And it's kinda, amazing. Kind of like you said, I think you said this last week too, is that you know a lot of interviews will do, they'll be like, oh, what else are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm writing Black Panther. And then like, they kind of, a lot of people, they don't, it doesn't even Missed them. opportunity by them because yeah. this is about to become a cultural phenomenon. In 2017, um, BuzzFeed compiled some Twitter data and they discovered that it was the ninth most tweeted about movie in 2017. Really? Despite not even coming out yet. They, they, they didn't have any... Fantastic. They didn't have any trailers or anything like that out yet? or They, they had, had a trailer, they, out, okay. but I'm just saying like the movie wasn't even yeah. out yet and people were tweeting about it like... That's interesting. Yeah, I wonder if there's going to be more of an international appeal to this one too, because it really is. It's it's a it's a Marvel movie that doesn't take place in New York. Yeah, and it's I don't I don't know how many times we have to underscore this, and and hopefully this along with Wonder Woman have made it clear to these studios that representation matters, and people want to see not only white men named Chris headlining these movies. <laughs> like, give give us Chadwick Boseman, give us Gal Gadot, like. Give us Michael B. Jordan as the villain and let him not be covered under mounds of makeup like they do to other people. Like Idris Elba was in the last Star Trek movie and most people didn't even know that. 
plot twist. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, it, uh, yeah. And then it just, wasn't really all that. No, nah, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. And, and speaking of uh, representation matters, one of my favorite stories, uh, which we would have gotten a preview of if you follow us on Facebook, is that this uh, a New York man started a GoFundMe yeah. so that he could buy tickets to Black Panther for children of color in Harlem, New York. And it has raised... As of recording, over forty-one thousand dollars. Famous people like, only like had, Chelsea Clinton contributed and encouraged more people to do it. Yeah, and it only had a ten thousand dollar goal. Yeah, so it overshot the, and overshot it quick too. Yeah. So it got a lot of attention. Um, I saw that on local news agencies here in the Northwest, even though this is happening on the East Coast. Fantastic. So yeah, that was huge. Okay, well let's do this. Let's uh, let's take a break from the uh, the news section and get into Dyer's feature story of the week. Dyer, you decided to. Um, to dig into the Seattle freeze, because this is something that you and I have talked about since I I think like the first time we met even. It was, it's a, it's something that a lot of people talk about, not as nerdy of a topic, but I try to make it as nerdy as possible and that we're going history on this. You know, we are going to go into actual little historical context, but also if anything, it's going to give you something to yell at your friends about because nobody seems to hit like a consensus on this. So it's a pretty, pretty interesting conversational piece. And don't forget, after this, we will do the uh, the quiz of the week and the payoff for uh, me losing the last quiz. Here we go. I don't believe the Seattle freeze exists at all because I was born and raised here and I have great friends here. I've also lived in other parts of the country and I have great friends in other parts of the country. I think somebody who says the Seattle freeze is real just wants an excuse not to make an effort. You know what I mean? Like you want an excuse to go, I don't have to do that because of the Seattle freeze. The freeze really was for me, at least, and what I've been trying to, to tell other people is that they don't want to go the next step. So it's like you hang out with someone, you have a great night, you meet some of their friends, and you start chatting, total lots in common, and then that's it. You get the one night with people here, and that's all. There's this notion, a very controversial notion, it turns out, that for a range of reasons, it is more difficult to make friends in Seattle than most any other city. Locals are just cold and unwilling to invite new people into the crowd. Some blame it on the weather. Others say that so many people in Seattle are too career-oriented and don't have time for socializing. You know, there's lots of theories, but there's no real... I haven't seen any real hard evidence for what that really stems from. I mean, people talk about, oh, it's it's sort of the, uh, the um, Scandinavian way, kind of people are sort of cold and aloof. And, you know, there's Scandinavians here, but not... Nowadays, it's, you know, it's a tiny percentage of the population. That's writer and historian Felix Benel. More from him in a little bit. But first, we enter into the ring for a fight between proponents of the Seattle freeze and its deniers. Or between propagandists and people who just love their city. It really does depend on your perspective. There's this angle that sort of branched off the Seattle freeze that I think kind of explains what this idea is. It's this idea of the Seattle maybe. Now, this is when somebody positively says they will hang out with you in front of your face, but they don't really intend to. I think of the Seattle maybe as the freeze, right? So that right. kind of that kind of matches what I'm thinking about is that they're not going to call you back. Great night, lots of pictures together, everyone's type, but then maybe you're a Facebook friend and you'll never see them again. 
This is my friend Gabe Carbajal. I've been in Seattle for almost 15 years. I moved up right after college from Southern California. Checked out San Diego, LA, San Francisco. Didn't like it. People are just not nice, right? Actually, I come to visit. Everywhere I went, people just chat you up. Like, they'll just talk to you as if you've known each other forever. And I just thought that was so incredible. What a different culture. So I'm thinking, what is everyone talking about this weird freeze thing? I have never experienced that. Now, of course, there's a but. But um, what I noticed was that the freeze really was for me, at least, and what I've been trying to, to tell other people is that they don't want to go the next step. So it's like you hang out with someone, you have a great night, you meet some of their friends and you start chatting and then that's it. Um, and that's what it always felt like. Like, sorry, like we're fooled up. You're a great guy. You're a nice person. We had a great night, but we're all done with friends. And it took me, I would have to say about a year and a half of living here before I could call someone an actual friend. Like I could call someone on the phone and uh, talk. And that's a long time. But for every Gabe that is out there arguing that the Seattle freeze has given them frostbite, there is someone like my friend Candy Harper. The, uh, the Seattle freeze is a made-up phrase by people who are extremely elite and feel like their feelings have been hurt because they're not kind people. I should probably note, Candy is from the Seattle area. Now, she's lived elsewhere, but she would qualify as the local in this whole Seattle freeze idea, which makes sense because whenever I bring this up with Candy, she argues back. Most people are nice. To be kind, that is an extension of oneself. That means, um, hey, I'm going out of town. Oh, do you want me to take your recycling to the curb for you? You want me to watch your dog? Um, that's, uh, oh, I'm going to watch this TV show. Do you want to come over to my house? Those are kind gestures. Nice is, we should get drinks sometime. And then, so wait a minute. No, 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 no. Call. So let's go through what we just talked about here because you just mentioned, let's watch TV show, come over to my house. That's been our Game of Thrones nights. Yes. The other example, however, hey, we all need to go out for drinks sometime, yeah. which is what I say to you, but then the person never does it, <laughs> which is what you never do. Okay, yeah, that was probably a bad example. Still, Candy puts it on the newcomer. It's not them, it's you. <laughs> I Because I was born and raised here, I, I'm offended when people say, the Seattle freeze is, is a real thing. Because then, then you're offending me. I've never had problems making friends. It's not them. It's legitimately you. You are the common denominator in all of those experiences. And so, right, I'm assuming people would probably say, yeah, like, well, maybe it's just you, but it's hard for a lot of people. So I don't think it's just me or, um, you know, and I run in a bunch of different types of circles too. And that, even that, all of them are difficult. And the cycle continues. They just sort of talked about that way that Seattle people don't really invite you into their lives and they're a little wary. And I'm totally that way. I embody the Seattle freeze. Back to Felix Bennell, local writer and historian. I mean, I, I, I remember in probably about 1997 or 98, I was working for King County Park System, and I met a woman who had moved up here from Portland, and she said, she described the Seattle freeze to me, but not in those words. She said, yeah, at Seattle, you know, you come to, I met people at parties, and they say, oh, there's this really great bar that's, you know, it's really cool. It's got neat atmosphere. The drinks are cheap and everything. Here, I'll give you the address. <laughs> like, the, in other places, people wanted to take you and show you things themselves. In Seattle, they just wanted to give you the address and tell you where it was. And that, for me, it's like, yeah, uh-huh. If it's Seattle or Western Washington history, he's the guy that you want to talk to. So I asked him about this whole Seattle freeze thing. The phrase Seattle freeze doesn't appear in the Seattle Times until 2005. 
13 years ago, which is pretty recent. And I, that rings true with my experience. I remember knowing what the Seattle freeze was 20 or 30 years ago, but not hearing it called the Seattle freeze until the last decade or so. The article Felix is referencing here is a column in the Seattle Times by Julia Sommerfeld. It was published on February 13th, 2005. It's titled, Our Social Disease. Beyond the Smiles, the Seattle Freeze is On. Here's a portion of that column read by a friend of the podcast, Carolyn Osorio. You're talking to a co-worker, someone at a party, fill in the blank. In any other town, this person looks like someone with whom you might be friends. Potential friend asks, So, what are you up to this weekend? Oh, I don't have any plans yet. I just moved to Seattle and don't really know anybody. You try not to look too desperate. Friend-to-be smiles, and for a brief, shining moment, you think to yourself, Finally, someone is going to ask me to do something. Invite me to a party. Happy hour. Brunch with the girls. It'll be just like sex in the city. She'll be Charlotte. You'll be Carrie. But instead... You feel a chill coming on. Still smiling, friend not on your life politely excuses herself. Well, have a nice weekend then. Ouch. You've just experienced the infamous Seattle freeze. Welcome to Seattle. Now, please go away. Since this column, the Seattle freeze has gotten its own Wikipedia page and a place in my favorite online authority, the Urban Dictionary. And it seems that about every year, this slew of Seattle Freeze-themed articles and blog posts just come forth. Like, how I learned to love the Seattle Freeze. Or my favorite, how is the Seattle Freeze still a thing? But like Felix said, the Seattle Freeze has existed long before people were calling it that. It's this tug of war over Seattle between newcomers and the people that were already here, even though they, too, were newcomers at one point. You know, the, the European settlement here really only goes back to about 1850, right? 1851, 52, when pioneers or Europeans landed here. Of course, natives had been here for thousands of years. Natives probably were the original Seattle Freeze people <laughs> because they didn't want pioneers coming here by the thousands and tens of thousands with their diseases and their, and just taking away their land and everything. That, that's a whole nother conversation. But so Seattle's always been desirable. We've had two very successful World's Fairs here. People came here by the thousands and tens of thousands during World War II. We had Boeing, of course. A lot of those people stayed. We had another big successful World's Fair in 1962 that we literally were on the map and on Life, you know, Life magazine and on television. And it was this huge deal to have what you know, the Space Needle was built for. So not everybody was happy about all this attention. After World War II, the population was growing because it was the baby boom and people had just saved the world from fascism and communism. And we were looking to you know, repopulate the earth and have careers and everything. And Seattle, like the rest of the country, was booming. And um, there'd been this thing called the Golden Potlatch back in the teens and 20s and 30s, which is sort of every big city had some sort of a big carnival. And this was sort of a Native American theme thing that had parades and fireworks and debauchery. It had gone away before World War II. So these people, uh, organization was formed called Greater Seattle Incorporated. And they were the people who were responsible for what became Seafair. The work Greater Seattle was doing caught the eye of sort of certain sort of cynical liberal people who thought, Greater Seattle, we don't, we don't want more people coming here. We like it the way it is. And so a very loosely formed organization was created called Lesser Seattle Unincorporated. And the, the person who's responsible for that is probably a guy named Jerry Holsinger. Seems like he's probably a left-wing guy, fairly liberal. He worked in the pharmaceutical industry, but he also had a radio show on several different radio stations from the 50s up to the early 70s. And one of his shows in the 1950s was called Lesser Seattle. Seattle's always loved to make fun of civic boosters. It's, that's, that's what goes back to the earliest days. We're just making fun of anyone who had any notion of, let's make this city more urban. Let's make this city more cosmopolitan. What a great way to poke fun at people because it's easy, it's, it's easy target. 
And so the, the name Greater Seattle set itself up to be called to be countered by Lesser Seattle. Lesser Seattle in the 1950s, it was sort of an armchair movement with a tongue-in-cheek attitude. Every now and then, they'd get a mention in the Seattle Times, usually some humorous quip that the older Seattle wasn't being torn down to make way for a new, larger city. And when you think about it, it sort of mirrors the modern-day debate between NIMBYs and YIMBYs, urban growth and people who like Seattle just the way it is. Seattle has always been desirable. Anyone, My parents moved here in 1959. They were from Europe. Seattle was like paradise in the 1950s. It was not very crowded. Property was really cheap. The scenery has always been gorgeous. I mean, you can see the mountains more clearly then than you can now. And we're surrounded by the beautiful water of Lake Washington, Puget Sound. This was, this was heaven. And so not everyone felt this way, but there's a sort of sense of, okay, raise the drawbridge. I'm in the castle now. Let's raise the drawbridge. Don't let anyone else in here to spoil this. So personally speaking, when I grew up in the suburbs around Puget Sound, it was the Californians moving up here with their fashionable clothes and their lattes. Just check out this almost live sketch from the 90s. It was about the very last Northwesterner in Seattle. Journal entry, May 12th. The Californians have taken over. They've brought money, jobs, and beautiful women in thong bathing suits. It's killing me. I've got to go. Out. And actually, Felix says you can find complaints about Californians moving to Seattle going back to the 1960s. But in the 90s, when the music scene blew up, another crowd was drawn to town. And today, a tech boom is attracting yet another wave of newcomers. And in a way, that's the real story behind the Seattle freeze. Seattle's strength, in my mind, has been how it completely reinvents itself every five or ten years, or every, every generation or so. It's totally different. I think about the Seattle I grew up in in the 80s. You could drive downtown and park your car anywhere. You could always find a place to park. There was never lines for anything. It was just a sort of kind of a backwater. This whole notion of Seattle as this paradise really, really blossomed in the 1990s. All these things that had been obvious to anyone who'd lived here started to become easily transmitted to the rest of the world by our culture, by our arts. And we're living with the result of that now in how dense Seattle is, how much the population is growing. And it's almost like there's so many people who are such recent arrivals now, you couldn't really develop a kind of lesser Seattle movement now because it'd be a bunch of hypocrites. And it was hypocritical 50 years ago or 60, 70 years ago too, but just it seems to be even more so now because the ratio of people who are recent arrivals versus, you know, quote unquote, not so recent arrivals. Seattle changes, people come, they get used to it, and it changes again. And before you know it, and I find myself doing it now, too. It's just like I'm actively freezing people. And I've, I've caught myself multiple times doing it. Um, Why do you think that is? What changed? I j- I'm older, I think. I'm not looking um, for friends. It's hard enough to keep the friends you have. I mean, I haven't seen you in a long time, right? Like, yeah. it's hard to just, it's hard to keep track. Yeah, like I said, I still hear people say, like, why? It's been a long, I don't have any friends up here. And I've been here for a while. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And then I go, but I'm real busy. I don't know. <laughs> Well, hey, if you ever want to have a beer sometime. Yeah, well, uh, let's, uh, yeah, well, we'll, think, we'll pencil you in. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. You. Yeah. <laughs> Friday? You're Saturday? Awesome. Uh, Friday, you want to see a show with me, Friday? You got to go up to Everett to see Newsies. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, right. See? Come gather around Seattle wherever you are. And I'll stuck on 520, get out of your cars and admit what they're saying in Wallingford bars. Our life style is fading And the most livable city is now a parking lot For the town, it is a change Fascinating feature this week on 
a, a an issue in this area that's been around for like 150 years. Did I do that math right? Around there? Something anyway? or so, yeah. And just a quick point in there, uh, that song is by Bob Nelson, who originally performed that on Almost Live in the 90s. And oddly enough, it still works quite a bit. <laughs> Um, and which kind of goes to Felix's point there, but uh, so yeah, a little yeah. credit to to Bob Nelson and Almost Live. Please do not sue us. <laughs> I don't think they will. Yeah, I doubt they have the money. Please <laughs> do not sue us. Um, <laughs> they'd appreciate that joke. Yeah. One thing that you left like kind of right on the tip of your tongue is how this applies to the Californians who are moving up here today. Yeah, and you mentioned it a little bit and how the song is still relevant, but the face of the Californian moving to. Seattle nowadays tends to be the tech worker. So a big chunk of that, and you are spot on by saying that, a big chunk of that was not able to fit into the future. But Felix had an interesting point of uh, one of the first little rushes into Seattle was during the uh, gold rush over in the Klondike. And people would stop in Seattle en route to you know make their riches up there. But they would stay here. They would make a little bit of money. They'd work a little bit, get all their supplies, and then move on. And it was just kind of like come hang around, move on. We were kind of a gateway town for a long time. Exactly. And so it made me think of like, okay, that hasn't really changed because Boeing did a similar thing with a lot of engineers coming here. And then you would, um, you know, you would kind of get some experience with Boeing. Some of them would stay, but a lot of them would move on or they'd become a science guy and then go off and become uh, famous on TV. Mm -hmm. But uh, the complaints... I hear a lot of these days, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that before we never really got bounced out of Seattle. The Californians came and they just made us drink lattes, but now they've come and they've raised our rents, you know, and, and this is the argument being made. Don't think I'm saying this, but like they've come, they've raised <laughs> our rents. You and kind now, of are. <laughs> I Well, I kind of am. Well, there's truth to it, but there's a much bigger picture. Yeah. I mean, they didn't just come here. Amazon and Microsoft and Google and Facebook has an office here. They've they've come here, but there's there's a reason they're coming here is because we have businesses flourishing here, and you know which is a good thing. It's also a bad thing when it kind of artif- naturally artificially morphs our market to the point where you can't really live here anymore. Yeah, when that growth you know? isn't as checked as it needs to be. Right, you know, and so it's a uh, you know it's it's re- you know really great to have a piece of cake every now and then but just cake every day is not good for you and i feel like that's kind of we have too much cake economic cake going on right now mm-hmm. and we're, you know we're kind of feeling the effects of that but tech workers are kind of feeling the freeze right now you know that you know they're the ones coming in and hanging out at our bars and you know taking over our apartments and that, that's kind of the sentiment i that people kind of argue today and i wonder if they're the ones that are kind of feeling like oh you work at Amazon. Well, I'm not gonna, not gonna invite you out to my bar because I want to keep it my bar, you know, type thing. I'm someone who participates in the Seattle freeze. Yeah, I know that I do. Yeah, because I'm. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what happens, and it's almost exactly the scenario that uh, Gabe presents in there, which is <laughs> when I'm in the room with you, I, I enjoy being nice and helpful to people. Yeah, doesn't mean that I necessarily want to follow up later and hang out with you. But I will be incredibly nice while we're in the same room. Like that's that's, and Felix said the same thing. And I don't think that that's rude to do that. Like, it, yeah, we're not automatically friends just because like I'm a good person to you. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that I think is what a lot of the Seattle freeze is, where I've had very good experiences asking people for directions and stuff like that in this city. Like I've always felt very comfortable yeah. approaching people and and asking them for help because it's a very helpful and charitable city. We're one of the most 
charitable cities per capita in the country. We give incredibly to to charitable things and, and, and in donations and stuff like that. But we're also people who appreciate our, our private lives and are a little set in our ways as well. We're very driven by the weather here. A lot of us are indoors for a lot of the year. And that yeah. means that sometimes you don't want to invite people over to your studio apartment that you can only afford because there's so many tech workers in the city and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't think it's that weird that the Seattle freeze is a thing. I think that it's it's real, but it's also oversold in its negativity. I think that it's an adaptation. Okay. I'm glad you said that because yeah. I, it's like it's real. But the thing is, you have other cities like New York where people are also flocking to or L.A. where people flock mm-hmm. to. Austin right now is another city where people are kind of flocking to. And you don't really hear the same thing so much of. Uh, well, it's just so hard to make friends here, yeah. you know. Well, New York ne- works a little differently. They'll exactly. tell you how they feel immediately rather than be nice while you're in the well, room. Well, as Gabe said, uh, like in those cities are just mean, so you don't really yeah. expect so it. Like, here, oh, everyone's mean. Here we have problems with like, you know, people being too nice to merge and stuff. But like I grew up in this area, sort of moving around kind of the up and down the I-5 corridor. I spent a lot of years in Portland and I feel like it was easier and better there and people would talk to you and you would make friends. But moving back here, I felt like I was gone a long enough time and moving back here, it was tough to actually find friends. And I still find it tough. Like, honestly, the best uh, daily friend I have now currently in my life are the bartenders at my (laughs) my neighborhood pub that know when I walk in, they make me a jack meat and I head immediately down to the pinball machine in the back. Mm. And and they that's honestly the most regular friend that I had. It sounded a lot sadder. Uh, when I said it out loud, then I had it in my mind uh, and I didn't intend it to be that way. I don't way. think it sounds sad, mostly but, because I've always wanted to be a regular somewhere, but I'm too irregular of a person to be a regular anymore. It happened to the point where like, and it, they even like did the slide. like They poured me the Are whiskey and they slid it down and I grabbed it and walked on. By, and I and for a minute there, I, I, I was very confused how I should feel about that. But yeah, like, you know, when I lived in Portland, I had like a friend group of sorts that it really was kind of like a uh, friends, how I met your mother, choose your sitcom type thing of you can talk about your day and, oh, you have a trial in your life that sucks and and that kind of stuff. Moving up here, I don't see that very often. Mm -hmm. I I don't see a lot of people kind of meeting up for that stuff. And if they do, it's kind of like, well, we already have our we we've got our you know friend boxes checked. You know we don't need any new applicants. It's also thing. weird up here because a lot of the social spaces where you would do that kind of thing are kind yeah. of dominated by people working in those spaces. Yeah, like in Friends, there's like never anybody working on something in the cafe, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's all social meetings, and yeah, that's not at all the way that things work here. Yeah, a lot of people are just know. busy doing their job. And if you don't have a space for something, then it's culturally hard to make it a thing. Yeah, yeah. And there's a few places in town you can do that. So that's what we need. We need more central perks that stay open after six. All right, well, let's do this. Before we get too far away from your Seattle Freeze story, I want to quiz you because this is the first time that I get to give you a quiz. And uh, I, I wrote this thing with a theme that is tangential to... Your story this week. So uh, you told me it was about Seattle Freeze, and uh, I was I was on my my thought highway, and I took the immediate first left turn I could, and then just kept on driving. So can so you tell this... how nervous I am already? I'm like... <laughs> I know you're bouncing on the balls of your feet and yeah. stuff. So this quiz 
is on the uh, ridiculous lines that Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze has in 1997's Batman and Robin. Okay. I will read you the line, <laughs> and you can tell me whether or not it's uh, real or not real. Okay. Um, I 50, believe 50 there shot, are- Real or not. 20 of them. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to say if you get 11, you pass. Because okay. honestly, it, it, yeah. That's see. a lot. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to try to stay cool. Dire Oxley, are you ready for this Northwest Nerd Quiz on Mr. Freeze Lines? No, but let's do Great. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. So I'm going to read you the, the, the quote, and you tell me real or not real, and I'll just mark down here over on my sheet whether or not you got it correct or not. Okay, I see you're we'll guarding your computer already. Yeah, I, know, like I don't, you I don't want you it. looking at it. All right, all right, okay. Stretch it out. Okay. Let's do this. Quote number one. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. That is true because I remember that one. That's my favorite one he does, along with another one that uh, that I'm hoping you ask about. But I'm going to say yes, true. Okay, that one is true. I'll, I'll give these to you as we go. Since good, this good. is my first quiz that I've given good. you, you can kind of get a sense for the way that it's written since I've done so many of yours. Perfect. Okay, quote number two. Tonight, I'm giving you the cold shoulder. Oh, gosh. I feel like that's something he would totally... I'm going to say true. That one's not real. I wrote that Ah, one. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll move it along since it's these are these are a lot of them and I want to get through them. Number three, Ivy, I prefer Icy. That sounds false. That one's fake. Okay, good. All right. Number four, in this universe, there's only one absolute everything freezes. I don't want to say it's terrible in case you wrote it, <laughs> but it is absolute everything freezes. Uh, true. That one's real. That one's real. Yeah. That one's Alrighty. Real. I'll take it. All right. Number five. Let's stop by Wendy's. I feel like a frosty. <laughs> <laughs> they did have a lot of cross promotion. Product placement. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I would have remembered that one. I would. I'm going to say true, though. Okay, so true is real or not real? It, 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 he said it. He said it. He said it. Okay, he did not say that one. Damn, I wrote okay. that one. Uh, number six, stay cool, bird boy. He did say that. Okay. Yes. That is correct. All right, number seven, ice type is super effective against flying type, bird boy. What? <laughs> I'm I'm starting to think that the weirder they are, uh, maybe he did say them. Ice type, uh huh, is super effective against flying type. Bird boy, no, he did not say that. That's correct. I wrote that one. That's a okay. Pokemon uh, reference. I knew oh. that you wouldn't get it. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> uh, number eight. All right, everyone, chill, chill, chill. I I do believe chill was something he said. Yes, he said that. That is correct. That one's real. All right, number nine. Cool party. Cool party? Yeah. But then you say it like, cool party. I mean, yeah, he said it in Schwarzenegger voice, obviously. Cool party. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. That one is also real. All right. Okay, number 10. I'm surprised how much I remember about this terrible film. (laughs) I know, it's been 20 years. All right, number 10. Always winterize your pipes. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to say yes. It's terrible. That one is also real. Really? Yep. All right. Okay. Uh, number 11. Tonight, hell freezes over. That seems obvious. Tonight, hell freezes over. 
No. That one is real. That one's real. Okay. Yep. All right. All right. Number 12. Let's kick some ice. Yeah, he would say that. Yep, that one's thing. real. Yeah. All right. Number 13. There will be no miracle on this ice. That's <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Miracle on Ice is the one that got you. Uh, I'm gonna say no, but may no. That is correct. Okay, that not real. All okay. right, number fourteen, Bane. That was chilling. Uh, no, that is correct. That one was fake. Okay, number fifteen, shouldn't have gone cheap on his snow tires. Gosh, I don't. No. That is correct. That one is fake. 16. I said freeze, not stop. <laughs> uh, I feel like I've done a lot of no's in a row now. And I, uh, so, yes. That is incorrect. Ah. All right. Number 17. I like my margaritas frozen. <laughs> I hope you edit out all of my really cheesy laughs on all of these, but I you're mean, hitting my pun, like my punny bone. I like, had a lot of fun writing these. Um, Margaritas does not sound like something that they would do in that film. I'm going to say no, he did not say that. Yep, that's correct. Okay. 18, let's put this conversation on ice. That that's totally sounds like a bad script, right? Yes. That one's fake. I wrote that oh. one. Oh. All right, number 19. By the way, I haven't been keeping track, so I have no idea if you're going to actually win this. Uh, <laughs> 19, come, come, Batman. You enjoy chilling out as much as I do. Yes. I wrote that one. Ah, I thought you would have known that one is fake because I ripped it from a uh, a James Bond villain. No, come no. come, Mister Bond. You enjoy killing as much as I do. Oh yeah, it's been forever since I watched those. Right, films, well, anyway, so. uh, number twenty, the last one. Okay, no pressure. Thank you for the warm reception, Gotham. Now go frost yourselves. I'm gonna say yes on the basis of uh, kick ice was another one. Mm-hmm. So yes, that one's fake. I wrote that one. Ah. I don't think he ever says, now go frost yourselves. That's a good one. I'm going to use that now. I had a lot of fun coming up with different ways to say ice and cold and whatnot. I'm going to use that in a very good place type way. Uh, You know, Cancel, I'm just going to say, yeah, go frost yourself. Uh, Okay, so you needed to get 11 correct. Yeah. Let me tally these up real quick. Dire Oxley, you needed to get 11 out of 20 in order to pass this quiz, and I hope people played along at home because they're going to want to compare to your score. You got 12 out of 20 correct. Yes! <laughs> I will take it. Oh, man. So per the uh, the regular bet, you get to okay. choose something uh, for me to watch, a piece of fandom that you're into that either I am ignorant of. I almost want to make you watch that movie now. <laughs> I'll do it. I no. almost did. I would never. I would never do that to you. Um, um, I watched a surprising portion of that movie while putting together <laughs> this quiz to make sure that I wasn't writing things that were actually in the movie. Okay. Um, so uh, you won this one. Congrats! I, I do. It's have, your first one. I know you were really nervous for this. I was, and I'm. I'm actually still shaking from it. But I have a show for you. It's going to be pretty easy. Nice. Um, but like you probably know it already because I asked you about it earlier. You haven't watched Cowboy Bebop in many, many years, you told yeah. me. So I want you to go back and watch the very first two Ooh. and see. Well, they're actually short. Two or three or whatever. They're only like 20 minute long like shows. They're not very yeah. long. So 
give yourself like a like a you know an hour long worth of them or whatever. But watch watch a few of them. Um, I find that it's never been done. No, no anime has ever really done better than that. I know mm. that's a bold statement, but I I'm particularly fond of it. Um, so yeah, give give those a try. That'll cool. be your next assignment. All right. So in the next magazine episode, I will report back after that quiz on watching on it what as I thought an adult. of uh, yeah Cowboy yeah. Bebop. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Yeah. Okay. Per the uh, quiz bet rules, I now have to to pay off what you made me watch because I lost the last quiz. I'm a little scared because I've been getting vibes. Like don't don't be scared. Vi- okay. All right. Don't all be right. scared. I feel how I feel. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, so I watched two episodes of Supernatural, specific episodes that you picked out, which I have right in front of me. I watched, and I am worried because I did give you rather kind of left field ones from the show. I wonder. I was, afterwards, I was questioning what if I should have given you ones that were more in the storyline. Yeah, we'll get into that because the first one I watched was actually the later season one that yeah. you chose out. So season four of, I mean, episode four of season eleven, titled "Baby." Yeah. This is the one that is shot entirely. Within or around the car, yeah, uh, which is named Baby. I think it's just like a. It's they don't really call it Baby, but it's it's kind of a just okay. a reference to well, it. You can yeah. tell I'm not deep enough into the show to whether yeah. to know whether or not the car has a name. And then the uh, the other episode I watched was episode eight of season five called Changing Channels. Yeah, that one was pretty fun. That's the that's the episode for people who are familiar with Supernatural, where the uh, the trickster. Traps them in uh, what they call TV land, where yeah. every other after each commercial break, they're kind of in a different iteration of a tropey yeah. show. So in one scene, they're in a uh, a Grey's Anatomy style hospital show where all the doctors are super hot. Doctor Sexy. Yeah, Doctor Sexy is actually a doctor <laughs> in the show. And then uh, another one is like a CSI type one where they just keep on taking off their their yeah. sunglasses at night, <laughs> David Caruso style, and saying ridiculous things. Um, that episode worked beautifully for me up until you get to the third act and they have to reckon with what's actually happening in the plot yeah. and move things forward so that it's not completely a bottle episode where they're just in different TV shows right? and they have to talk to the trickster about why he did this and defeat him somehow and stuff like that. And they got real deep into the lore about who is a weapon for Lucifer and, and yeah. Michael the Archangel and all kinds of stuff like that. That's where it lost me a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it did make me interested to dig into the lore of the show at large because I watched the first two seasons of Grimm and Supernatural seems to me like the show that came first and did it better, it seems like. It is. It's uh, Supernatural is very Neil Gaiman in that they take uh, old mythology, old religious references and craft mm-hmm. it into a new story. And they stick fairly well um, into the Judeo-Christian tradition, but there's a lot of stuff they're pulling from elsewhere. So I'm not going to tell you a lot, but the trickster is kind of everywhere in all the lore. And so, like, there's a lot of stuff they kind of pull into that and they do it well, but the yeah. show was invented... Uh, and trickster gods are incredibly popular things in mythology. Anyway. Right, yeah. Loki and all those guys. So mm-hmm. the... The raven, the jackal. Exactly. Yeah. And and in this, in this case, uh, I thought that would be kind of a nice one to throw at you because Supernatural has a a tradition of kind of looking at themselves and getting a joke like, okay, like we'll laugh at ourselves. Even when we, you know, we're a show, we were supposed to be a horror and funny show, but they kind of laugh and make fun of themselves in a way that they're very self-aware of what they are. And when the actors have kind of gotten older now, even though they started out this show being like the two young, attractive, you know, male actors that they'll throw out there and they're supposed to like be like, you know, 
on all the teen magazines and all that. And now they're older. And now all the shows reference like how, you know, just like get away, old man. Like they're very, very self-aware of Aren't that. Aren't you old to be doing this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, but anyway, yeah, they, they, they've always had that kind of awareness. I thought that was a good example of it. Um, and then they do other stuff lately that they haven't been doing where they're just like, you know what? We're going to keep making shows. Let's just have fun and be kind of artsy or experimental or uh, or just be a little bit more cinematic with it. They had a Quentin Tarantino episode where they essentially <laughs> kind of did a little bit of staging uh, right off of a lot of Reservoir Dogs um, oh, cool. and Pulp Fiction. A lot um, of blood spray. Yeah. and But Baby was one of those where they essentially yeah. did a whole show from the perspective of the car, which was interesting. Yeah. The... Um... The concept started to wear a little thin towards the end of the episode. I was like, wow, yeah. we're really going to do this for an hour. Um, but for the most part, it really worked for me. And it was kind of a cool way to do that show. Like if that's what Supernatural was all the time, yeah, it would be weird. But it would also be way more intriguing to me as a TV show. The, so it's interesting. So if you, I mean, if you do ever go into this more, I think the first five seasons were actually the in the only intended seasons from yeah. the creator. And he had this idea that he wanted to incorporate his his fandom of Jack Kerouac on the road type novels and westerns and especially horror movies. So it would always be Monster of the Week, but it would always incorporate the road trip. And in, in, in incorporating the road trip, you would have a western aspect to it. Um, in fact, the, the original name of these characters, I think, was supposed to be Sal and Dean, which is directly ripped from yeah. On the Road. On the Road. But then you'll find other references in the show, like the original owner of the car's name was Sal Moriarty, which are also names mm. ripped directly from Jack Kerouac. So, like, that was supposed to be it. It was a very, you know, the defeat the devil, meet the devil at the crossroads type Americana lore. And then after that, when the creator just said, okay, I'm done with it, do what you want, they've had a little bit of fun since then. And have kind of moved out into new territory. And they did six more seasons after that. And point. now it's the longest running <laughs> fantasy show in the history of television. That's so. pretty wild. Yeah, that's pretty wild. But I can, just based on their own meta sense of humor, I can yeah. see how it's been able to keep this thing going for so long. Yeah. And I probably won't dig that much into it, <laughs> much and, more than this. But I'm glad that I now have a familiarity with the show, and I kind of get it now. That I is, think that my version of of super, Supernatural, besides me watching like a season and a half of Grimm until it just got ridiculous uh, is is Hellboy. That same yeah. type of character who just That's like wanders good, in and out good. of different myths yeah. but is this character that you can follow through all of these things that yeah. has some grander ending in sight for him which probably would have been like season five of Supernatural. Yeah. yeah. And you say you're not going to dig into it until you lose another quiz. <laughs> uh, yeah. After I watch Cowboy Bebop. Thanks to Carolyn Osorio, Gabe Carbajal, Candy Harper, and Felix Benell for talking to Dyer this week. Shout out to Kevin McLeod for the music in that piece. And thanks again to Roe from North Bend for our three questions at the beginning of the show. And thank you to all of our Patreon supporters along with Roe. If you want to contribute, head over to our website, nw-nerd.com, where you can find a link to our Patreon page. That's also where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we post tons of stuff that doesn't make it into the podcast. So get yourself even more Northwest Nerd content by following us on social media. This concludes episode 14 of season two of the Northwest Nerd podcast. We'll be back in a week with another roundtable episode. So we'll see you next week, nerds. Did you?
Did you want to tease the next feature at all? Or? You can tease it now if you want me to. It doesn't matter. It's going to be Oregon Trail, but it doesn't matter. What about Oregon Trail? Oh, what about Oregon Trail? All right, well, 